Taking Christ for Granted. Before we read from God's holy word, upon which this sermon is based, let us pray. Our loving Father, we are about to tackle a most serious problem, which I believe is facing many Adventists today who are taking Christ for granted in their daily lives. Please, Father, help us by thy Holy Spirit to search our hearts as never before so that we may make sure that Christ is in absolute control of our lives. And we ask this in his name. Amen. Now let us turn to the scripture. I'm reading Luke, the second chapter, and I am beginning with verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days, as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinsfolk, and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wished ye not that I must be about my father's business? Now, for the key text in the scripture we have just read, Luke 2, 44, I read, For they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinfolk and acquaintances. Now let us begin with an irrefutable statement. As baptized members of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, we are in the right church. There is no question about this. It's beyond all doubt, for no other church in the world meets God's specifications of two identifiable requirements. One, 
to keep the Ten Commandments of God and two, to have the faith of Jesus, which is the spirit of prophecy. I read in Revelation 19.10, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The focal point of our three angels' messages, whether it be doctrine or prophecy, is Christ-centered in every aspect. As a member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, we belong to God's remnant church today. But now, I have a very serious question. Is it possible that we have missed the real Christ in his church? Why do I ask? Because the Jews did. Remember when Christ was on earth, the Jewish church was God's true church at that time. And if you wanted to be saved, you had to belong to God's true church. Yet, the vast majority of the priests, the scribes, the rulers, and the people rejected the Savior when he came to them. Only a very few accepted the Son of God. Why? What was the major problem that was to be found within the Jewish church, God's remnant church at that time? I was interested in what Elder F.C. Gilbert, who was a converted Jew, and who for many years was in charge of our Jewish work conducted by the General Conference to bring Christ to our Jewish friends, I was amazed in this expert on the problem of the Jewish nation. He knew all about the Jewish language, the Jewish culture, when he spoke and when he wrote, it was with authority. In the Ministry Magazine of December 1933, Elder Gilbert wrote an article about the Jewish church leadership. That was the time of Christ's first advent, in which he explains why the Jews as a nation rejected their Messiah. Now you'll be amazed, for he states it was because of higher learning. You see, the rabbis thought that they could reach the world through scholastic achievements. I'm going to read from his article, taken from the Ministry Magazine of December 1933. I'm quoting. It was also suggested by the Greeks that the Jews send their talented young men to Alexandria for training and instruction, now notice, in the philosophies, the sciences, and the learning of the Greeks. Many of the elders of Israel feared the results of such a course. The sages remembered the sorrowing 
of their ancestors who came into contact with heathen manners and customs. They counseled the younger men against such a procedure. But those in turn argued that it would be to an advantage to be strong, thoughtful, vigorous young men who could enter the schools of Greece as they might influence the philosophers and the Greek scholars to see the value and the beauty of the Jewish religion. And some of the learned Greeks might embrace Judaism. Still the aged men of Israel advised against it. They maintained that there should that should the younger men come into contact with the learning of the heathen, it might be ruinous to the future of the Jewish race. Many of Israel's influential men yielded to Greek urging. They said that God would help their young men to be true to their religion. And the training schools of Jewry would have a better standing in the eyes of the nations. The men of Israel were made to feel that the advantages of the Jewish scholars would be immeasurable. The young men would gain knowledge, influence, and prestige. And what was the result? Gradually, the Jewish schools came to confer degrees upon their graduates. These were the Ra, the Rabbi, the Tana, the Geon, the Sadi, and the Rabbon. It was thought necessary for the graduates of the rabbinical schools to display their ranks by wearing different clothing. Little by little, an educational aristocracy was formed, which was called the Sanhedrin. This term is of the Greek origin, the Hebrew name being birth din hagodol, meaning the great house of judgment. The religious schools continued to operate but a marked declension in spiritual influence and power was apparent. Year by year, the Word of God was studied less as studies based on culture and philosophy increased. Human concerns became exalted and God was less thought of." Unquote. What a picture! of the condition of the Jewish church because of higher education at the very time when Christ came to this world. Now I'm going to read from Desire of Ages, page 29. As they departed from God, the Jews in a great degree lost sight of the teachings of the ritual service. The Jews lost the spiritual life from their ceremonies and clung to dead forms. In order to supply the place of that which they had lost, 
The priest and the rabbis multiplied requirements of their own. And the more rigid they grew, the less of the love of God was manifested. They measured their holiness by the multitude of their ceremonies, while their hearts were filled with pride and hypocrisy. Now, once again, I must quote from the Ministry Magazine of 1933, in which Elder Gilbert writes, Because the leaders of Israel failed to accept the message of John as coming from God, they were unprepared to receive the message of the Savior. Although he assured them that his life and advent were based on sacred scripture, the rabbi argued, how knoweth this man letters, having never learned? You see, Jesus never went for this higher education from Babylon. I have another quotation that I want to read to you, taken from the book Patriarchs and Prophets, page 607. The Israelites did not realize that to be unlike other nations was a special privilege and blessing. Oh, somehow I wish that we would read and think that through today as a church. Let me read it again. The Israelites did not realize that to be unlike other nations was a special privilege and blessing. God had separated the Israelites from every other people to make them his own peculiar treasure. But they disregarded this high honor. As they departed from the Lord, they became ambitious for the honors of the world. Many urge that by uniting with the worldlings and conforming to their customs, they might exert a stronger influence over the ungodly. But all who pursue this course thereby separate from the source of strength, becoming the friend of the world, they are the enemies of God. Thus it has been in every age of this world. Unquote. And so likewise, our church today, in which it is following the same footprints of old Israel, for we too have decided that higher education is the answer. But you know something? We have not been able to reach the surrounding churches with our God-given three angels' messages. And the sad news is that we have the result today that the teachings of Babylon are infiltrating our educational system, our preaching, and even the books that are being printed on our presses, so that we are little by little losing our cardinal truths as we mingle with the churches in the ecumenical movement. 
We need but two divine streams to close the door of apostasy, the Bible and the spirit of prophecy and nothing more. These two heavenly sources will keep us in touch with Jesus and prepare us to be ready to meet him when he comes. Will you consider with me for a moment the doctrine of the sanctuary? No other people in the world except the Jews of old who were faithful to God's truth understood the living Christ within the heavenly sanctuary teaching. For instance, every sanctuary emblem represents Jesus Christ, the lamb, the bleeding victim, the labor, in which Christ washes away the iniquity, the candlesticks, Christ, the light of the world, the showbread, Christ, the bread of life, the altar of incense, this is the place where Christ presents our requests to God the Father. The ark, the law, a transcript of Christ's character. Yet, when the living Christ appeared to his people, they rejected him. Why? Because they had taken Christ for granted. They supposed they really knew him, when all they actually had was a form of religion. And for this, God rejected the whole Jewish nation forever. <clears throat> and what about us? We hear less and less today of the sanctuary. For it is within this doctrine that the true Christ is discerned. Our members are taking Christ for granted, and the majority will likewise reject him when he appears the second time. Consider more closely with me the truths of the heavenly sanctuary. Do you realize that you may know beyond a doubt that Christ entered the holy apartment in heaven at Pentecost, there to act as our high priest, cleansing our sins with his own blood, and in 1844 that he entered the most holy place, where he is in this very moment standing before the Ark of the Ten Commandments, as our advocate in the final moments of this world when God will declare, and I'm reading Revelation 22:11, he that is unjust, let him be unjust still, and he which is filthy, let him be filthy still, and he that is righteous, let him be righteous still, and he that is holy, let him be holy still.
When God shall appear the second time, will you and I be ready to accept him? Or will you and I have followed in the path of the Jews of old? Because we have been misled by the teachings of Babylon in listening to educated men who are teaching <clears throat> that there is no sanctuary in heaven, that there is no need of Christ's atonement now, since a full atonement was made at the cross, that Christ kept the law for us. Therefore, all that is needed today for you and me is just to believe. For we are saved by faith alone, so we can sin until Jesus comes. Millions within our church today are accepting these false teachings because they are being presented by our doctors of divinity. Instead of studying for themselves to know the truth, they are resting in supposing that Christ is within these teachings, when in fact they are preparing to reject him as the Jews of old did. They will not be ready to accept him when he comes. Do you remember the Magi coming to Jerusalem as we read in Matthew 2, 1 and 2, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king? Behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and are come to worship him. Can you imagine the sensation that this caused? All Jerusalem was astir. Even King Herod was alarmed. Why should this be? Had not prophecy precisely predicted that Bethlehem would be the king's birthplace? The shepherd's experience with heavenly angels was known to all of the priesthood. Zechariah's encounter with the angel was also known widely. The birth of John the Baptist was revealed to thousands. Yet both the priests and the whole Jewish nation knew not that it was time for the Messiah to come. Sad to say, only a few were ready to meet him. Only a few were looking for him because they were blindly following the scribes and the Pharisees rather than studying for themselves from God's word and following the counsel of his prophets. Consider with me the dedication of the baby Jesus. Forty days after his birth, Jesus was taken to Jerusalem to be dedicated. The Christ child was to conform to the law in every particular. God had promised the firstborn of heaven to save sinners. <clears throat> 
And this gift was to be acknowledged by his consecration in commemoration of God's people being delivered from Egypt. Egypt meaning full deliverance from sin. <clears throat> in Exodus 4:22, Thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And I say unto thee, Let my son go, that he may serve me. And if thou refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn. After these judgments, God commanded, Sanctify unto me the firstborn, both of male, of both of man and of beast. It is mine. Exodus 13, 2. But then in the 13th verse we read, For on the day that I smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I hallowed unto me all the firstborn of Israel. Mine shall they be. I am the Lord. But when the tabernacle service was instituted, the tribe of Levi was to take the place of the firstborn. However, the firstborn was still regarded as the Lord's and must be bought back by a ransom. Just as the blood on the doorpost saved the firstborn, so the blood of Christ was to save the sinner. What a message was to be found in this baby dedication of Jesus. Now picture with me. Here is the baby Jesus being carried in the arms of Mary. The priest does not seem to comprehend the divine significance. For to him, this is just an everyday common occurrence. Now watch with me as he accepts the redemption money. He does it as a routine job. Why not? This is what he was paid for. As the priest begins this dedication service, he sees nothing unusual in Joseph and Mary, except that they are very poor, offering the smallest gift possible. Now, watch as he takes the Christ child out of the arms of Mary into his own arms, and he lifts the child high above the altar. See him inscribe the name Jesus in the record book. This priest never dreams that this little baby boy is the majesty of heaven, that he is holding in his arms the King of glory. Here is the one which Moses wrote about, and all prophecy predicted that he was to come. Tell me, why was this priest not prepared for this divine moment? I'll tell you. Because he took his religion for granted. He saw nothing unusual 
spiritual things are spiritually discerned. Friend, how is it today with our heart? Are we taking Christ for granted, supposing that he is with us? Is not God making every effort today to awaken us that Jesus is soon coming? God made every effort to alert his people in the day of Christ. <clears throat> For at the precise moment of Jesus' dedication, as he was being lifted up before the altar, Simeon enters the temple and takes the baby out of the priest's arms and stands there praising God that he has now seen the Messiah. How is this? I'll tell you. Simeon took nothing for granted. He had been praying for the Messiah to appear. And this is why the Holy Spirit moves his heart as he takes the babe in his arms. Never before had he felt and experienced such joy as he returned the babe to Mary's arms. And then he speaks before this astonished priest. I'm reading Luke 1, 29. Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. And then he blessed the child Jesus, and he blessed Mary and Joseph also. I'm reading on Luke 2, 34. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is set forth for the fall and the rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Immediately, God sends Anna the prophetess to alert the priesthood also. She too, standing there, comes in and takes nothing for granted. Why? Because we are told in Luke 2.34, 237, that she served God with fasting and prayer night and day. She likewise confirmed Simeon's testimony and stated, I have now seen Christ the Lord. In verse 38, and she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for the redemption in Jerusalem. Such an acknowledgement by inspiration quickly spread to every priest, every ruler, and every scribe. So why did the priests and the people reject him? They took for granted what the church leaders stated and they believed what they said. 
the people supposed that they were correct. They did not study. They did not pray for themselves to discover the truth. And then, next came the Passover visit, when Jesus was 12 years old. This journey took place several days. Usually, they traveled in large companies. As they passed historical sites, they would stop to recount the providences of God, such as the miraculous crossing of the Jordan and the fall of Jericho. Songs of victory filled the air when Jerusalem finally came into view, and the whole company would burst out singing the hymns of David, as you read in Psalms 122. Our feet shall stand within the gates, O Jerusalem. Now, picture with me this boy Jesus in his first Passover visit. He is 12 years old. As he takes his first look at the temple, he enters and is captivated by the sights and the wonders. He beholds the white-robed priests performing their solemn duties. He sees the bleeding victim of sacrifice. He bows in prayer amid the cloud of incense. Hour by hour, the sanctuary truth unfolds to his boyhood mind. His every act of life seems bound up in this Passover ritual. New impulses are awakened within him. Alone in the temple, he studies the sin problem. The mystery of his mission opens, unfolded before him. For God is teaching him the facts of his mission. Is it any wonder that he chose to be alone, to pray, to meditate? Wonder of wonders, suddenly, Jesus the boy discovers that he is the Son of God. He is to be the Lamb of sacrifice. He is to die for sinners. Instantly, all the scriptures that have been taught to him at his mother's knee turn into focus on this issue of life and death. As a result, the boy Jesus commits himself to his mission. And as the Passover comes to an end, is it any wonder that he still lingers in the courts of his temple? As the worshipers depart, Jesus is left behind. Like a new convert to the message, he longs to impart his discovery of the truth to others. He discovers the school of the prophets and joins with other students by seating himself in the midst as he listens to these great men of Israel. He appears to be seeking instruction as he questions the great prophecies and the events 
expected in the Messiah's coming. The rabbis are amazed, for his questions open to them what has appeared to be obscure texts. New aspects of the Messiah appear in the horizon, such as when this youth asks concerning Isaiah's prophecy found in Isaiah 53, 5-7. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisements of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. Suddenly, the boy Jesus opens up the depth of scriptures that these priests had never even dreamed of before to be found in the prophets. The rabbis discern that this is a youth of great promise. They think that they are molding his thinking. But God, through the Holy Spirit, is using this boy Jesus to open up their hardened hearts that have been closed by spiritual pride and the higher education of Babylon. Can you imagine what would have happened had these priests listened to God? You see, they supposed they knew it all, for they had taken for granted that they were acquainted with God's truth. Could it be that some of us also are snug in our religion, taking it for granted, but missing the very central pillar of truth that Christ is our righteousness as revealed in the great three angels' messages? But back to my story. Joseph and Mary are in distress. They have gone a whole day's journey from Jerusalem and have completely lost sight of Jesus. You see, they too had supposed that he was with them. They did not know that he had stayed in Jerusalem. They had become absorbed in visiting with their friends. How many, like Joseph and Mary, feel the presence of Jesus at a religious service, but lose the blessing on the way home. In the Spirit of Prophecy, Volume 2, page 37, Jesus will not be found in the company of those who are careless of his presence and who engage in conversation having no reference to their Redeemer in whom they profess their hope of eternal life, are centered. 
Jesus shuns the company of such. So also do the angels who do his commands. These heavenly messengers are not attracted to the crowd where minds are diverted from heavenly things. These pure and holy spirits cannot remain in the company where Jesus' presence is not desired and encouraged and his absence not marked. For this reason, great mourning, grief, and discouragement exist. Through lack of meditation, watchfulness, and prayer, they have lost all that is valuable." Unquote. You see, this is exactly what happened to Mary and Joseph as they left Jerusalem to return home. As the day closed, they prepared to pitch their tent, only to miss the ever-ready hands of Jesus. Suddenly, it struck them. Jesus is not with them. In fact, he had not been with them all day. You see, they had taken it for granted that he was with them. They supposed, so the scripture says, that he was by their side. Now they shudder with fear, for they remember how Herod had tried to kill him. They remember now that they had been charged with heaven's most precious gift, they reproach themselves as they retrace their steps all through the long dark night until early in the morning they walk the silent streets of Jerusalem looking, looking for the boy Jesus. For three days they search every nook and cranny. Finally, they see a crowd of early worshipers entering a room of the temple. They follow. Then they hear that familiar voice, serious, earnest, youthful, and filled with the melody. Oh, there's no mistake. They have entered within the school of the prophets. They cannot contain their grief any longer as they listen to his meaningful answers. Suddenly, Mary cries out, Son, why hast thou dealt thus with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. Luke 2:48. Every ear listens for the answer. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? We are told in the spirit of prophecy that as the boy Jesus speaks, he lifts his hand and points to heaven. Jesus is already engaged in his life work. Joseph and Mary had neglected theirs. Wonder of wonder. Joseph and Mary blame Jesus. 
Will we blame Jesus when he comes if we are not ready? God has given to Joseph and Mary the highest honor. He committed his son to their care, and for three days they had lost sight of him. You see, they supposed. They took for granted, and it took three days to find him again. Listen to these words of page 83 in the Desire of Ages. If Joseph and Mary had stayed their minds upon God by meditation and prayer, they would have realized the sacredness of their trust. They would not have lost sight of Jesus. By one day's neglect, they lost the Savior, but it cost them three days of anxious search to find him. So with us, by idle talk, evil speaking, or neglect of prayer, <clears throat> we may in one day lose the Savior's presence, and it may take many days of sorrowful search to find him and regain the peace that we have lost." Unquote. How often we take Christ for granted. I continue reading from the same page. In our association with one another, we should take heed lest we forget Jesus. We pass along unmindful that he is with us. When we become absorbed in worldly things so that we have no thought for him in whom our hope of eternal life is centered, we separate ourselves from Jesus and from the heavenly angels. Those holy beings cannot remain where the Savior's presence is not desired and his absence is not marked. This is why discouragement so often exists among the professed followers of Christ." Unquote. How can God's people mingle with the lost in attending rock concerts, in visiting sports arena, where drinking, smoking, and profanity is used. How can one spend hours looking at video movies or movies on the television and reading novels that have been authored by Satan? But you say, Brother Nelson, the youth are so young, they cannot understand. Don't you believe it? Look at the boy Jesus, only 12 years old. He understood because of the faithfulness of his parents. You too have a responsibility. God has given you a son or a daughter who is very precious in the sight of God. Are you having daily worship with them, teaching them to pray, and giving godly counsel? Never forget. 
God gave you these children that you might lead them to Jesus to be saved for all eternity. Never, never take for granted that your child is with Jesus. And what of yourself? Could this be the reason you experience spiritual discouragement? Again on page 83 of that book, Desire of Ages, many attend religious services and are refreshed and comforted by the word of God. But through neglect of meditation, watchfulness, and prayer, they lose the blessing. They find themselves more destitute than before they received it. Often they feel that God has dealt harshly with them. They do not see that the fault is their own. By separating themselves from Jesus, they have shut away the light of his presence. And so my message today, don't take Christ for granted. He's heaven's most precious gift. He's the pearl of great price. Don't neglect one day in having your morning devotions and searching to make sure that you know that Jesus is with you in all that you do and that the truth that you believe is the truth of God. And as you associate with God's people, shun every avenue that would turn you from Jesus. Test yourself. Once more I read, as we associate together, we may be a blessing to one another. If we are Christ, our sweetest thoughts will be of him. We shall love to talk to him and as we speak to one another of his love, our hearts will be softened by divine influence. Beholding the beauty of his character, we shall be changed into the same image from glory to glory. Second Corinthians 3.18 Let us pray. O oh, loving Father, grant us such a loving relationship with thy dear Son that we may never take him for granted because he abides moment by moment in our loving care. Amen.